Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So I want to just preach on that one word today. Wish it was a one word sermon, but it's not. You just look at your neighbor and tell them, stand. Kind of do it as an imperative, as an encouragement, as a command. You may be seated. Back in Detroit, Michigan's glory days, 1924, the Park Avenue Hotel was designed and built by noted architect Lewis Camper. It was among one of the gems of businessman Lou Tuller's hotel empire. He made big money in hotels. But that was a long time ago, and the hotel had fallen in disarray and shambles, uninhabited. So yesterday, uh, in order to make a way for a new Detroit Red Wings sports complex, the historic Park Avenue Hotel was imploded. If you're a guy, a boy grown up even, implosions, explosions are pretty cool. So when they set off the charges of dynamite, sounded like firecrackers and louder booms, and then all 13 stories, 252 rooms of that huge hotel kind of came tumbling down in a cloud of white, brown, and gray dust. It took less than a minute, but I want you to notice that it was the bottom floors at the foundation that went first to allow the implosion to occur, and it looked like this, in case you haven't seen it. Notice the bottom. Long years to build and destroyed in less than a minute. And going from the bottom. Dynamite charges everywhere, but if you're going to implode a building, you start by taking out its foundation, the lower floors of the structure. And on Friday, June 26, a supporting pillar of American society was blown away and the structure of the United States of America was made more vulnerable to a coming moral implosion. June 26 is the day that the Supreme Court acted to redefine marriage and attempt to overturn nature and the Holy Bible. It was the psalmist David who asked the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation is destroyed, the building, the institution will collapse. The decision by the high court took away the authority of the states and 320 million Americans who had spoken on this issue. The basis of the decision was 
the 14th Amendment that guarantees the equal protection of the laws to all citizens of our country, but some specialist authorities would say that it was a bad decision from a constitutional perspective. The narrow 5-4 decision showed the division on the court. Chief Justice John Roberts dissented in this vote. He read his dissenting opinion from the bench. The first time he has read a dissenting opinion from his place of position as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. He said, If you are among the many Americans of whatever sexual orientation who favor expanding same-sex marriage, by all means celebrate today's decision. But do not celebrate the Constitution. It had nothing to do with it. Justice Scalia said that he's not so much concerned about same-sex marriage as the threat the court's threat to American democracy. He called it a judicial push or an attempted violent overthrow of the government. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops said that it was profoundly immoral and unjust for the government to declare that two people of the same sex can constitute a marriage. Dr. David K. Bernard the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church with whom we are associated, spoke about a Christian response to the Supreme Court ruling. First of all, he said, we must continue to uphold God's Word. In God's plan, marriage is the union of one man and one woman who make a lifelong commitment. Quoting Dr. Bernard, this definition of marriage is foundational in God's creative purpose and moral code for the human race. Jesus himself taught that the sexual relationship is to be confined to holy matrimony. The Bible teaches against moral impurity. That we are as a church to continue to proclaim Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, for the world was condemned already. He came that the world through Him might be saved. He came to reconcile people to Himself. And our mission is of reconciliation, not condemnation. Dr. Bernard continues, We should continue to affirm the worth and dignity of every human being, regardless of their choices, whether or not they agree with us, we should show kindness to all people and we should recognize a civil right even if it is not given by the Word of God. We should not redefine marriage. We should recognize that people have the freedom to choose and while we disagree, we should love them to God, speak the truth in love, and we should be wise. We should not be hate mongers in this hour, we need to represent the spirit of Jesus Christ. Well said, Brother Bernard. He said we should defend our freedom of the speech, of the press, of association and religion. These freedoms will likely come under attack by those who wish to silence the opposition and we need to participate in the political, legal process to up. 
hold them. Uh, it is not hate speech. He says, and I agree, for Christians who preach and teach about sin and about righteousness. We must vigorously oppose attempts to compel Christian institutions like churches, schools, adoption agencies, and counseling services to endorse same-sex marriage. We vigorously oppose that and stand against that. Likewise, we oppose any attempt to remove the tax-free status of churches because of our religious beliefs. Finally, he says, we must pray for America. For where sin doth abound, there doth grace much more abound. We must pray for an open door to the gospel. Amen. These days are perilous times and we must stand strong for truth. Now I want you to understand today the context of my message is to bring clarity, biblical clarity to this issue but I am thinking larger than any given issue but about our general state of the union as a country. Amen. Now, when the Supreme Court ruled, I can assure you that God Almighty did not pull out the original handwritten version of the Bible and overwrite what He had written. Amen. God did not change His posture, His position on what is moral and what is not. Amen. So, we have to understand from the Scriptures that God created male and female. He commissioned them to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus reiterated this model for marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 6 on the screens. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. They are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Don't put the marriage asunder. And I can say in 2015, don't put the marriage institution asunder. Don't destroy what God established. There are several sexual practices that are condemned by the Bible. Fornication can be a general sexual immorality. Pornea is the word in the Greek. Or premarital sexual involvement. Adultery, sexual relations outside the marriage. Rape, the forced sexual relations. Incest, sexual relations with close family members, including mother, sister, niece, aunt, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law, taught in the Bible. And also homosexual sexual relations between same-sex partners. And bestiality, the involvement of humans with animals, is taught against in the Bible. Let me give you some scripture. Leviticus 18 22. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Neither shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Leviticus 20 13, New Living Translation. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They must both, under the Old Testament law, be put to death, for they are guilty of a capital offense. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. 
Even the woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Now nature is not a tree and a bird and sun rising in the morning. 1 Corinthians 11 that speaks about authority and hair on men and women is not about that kind of nature. That is nature. But it's the created nature. It is the way God designed us, male, female. So here in Romans 1, it is against nature. Use, uh, exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not fitting. In other words, they would give themselves to what is unnatural, what is morally wrong, because they shut out the knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now I could preach about all of those sins because some people in their self-righteousness are extremely sinful. Some people have sins of the spirit and some have sins of the flesh. I'm not trying to say that one will send you to a hotter hell than the other. I will say that the Bible says that sexual sins are against your own body, that they have a unique effect on you because of the very nature of them, because your body was made in the image and nature of God and it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11 speaks about people that will not inherit the kingdom of God in the same context, same idea. The book of Jude, chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, doesn't that sound like America? Jude is at the end of the apostolic era, the closing of that first hundred years. And he said, hey, I, I want to remind this next generation of something that you already knew. But maybe you've forgotten. Maybe it's been watered down in time. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those that did not believe. He saved them. Then when they did not obey Him, He destroyed the very people He saved. Why? And He said the angels that did not keep their first proper domain, or first estate, the King James says, left their own abort. He is... Abode he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around him in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, unnatural flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In other words, Jude says, here's some... Here's some judgments that God rendered through time. And God who judged Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels in time will judge sexually immoral immoral people in eternity. The book of Revelation. Revelation 21 and 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I wanted to tell you those scriptures, and I went through them rather quickly, just to say that we're not making this up. I, I want to, between services, this was on my desk. President, former President Jimmy Carter says Jesus wouldn't have a problem with gay marriage. And, and he says, I can't give you an exact scripture, it's just my personal belief. Now, I'm not trying to make fun. Jimmy Carter's a very good man. He's done a lot of humanitarian good. Interest rates weren't too great under his presidency. But, you know, I'm not criticizing the person. But when you say, there, I don't have a scripture, where is your Bible? I've, I've not read to you every scripture. But I've read to you enough scripture that we're not making this up. We're not hate mongers. We're not crazy people. We are people that are holding on to what has held society together for 239 years that is coming apart at the seams. There's an old gospel song that says, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. The Bible said that all of us are pilgrims and strangers, that heaven is our eternal destiny, right? And if you feel at home in this world with the current climate, perhaps you've been deluded by what is taking place. Perhaps you drank the Kool-Aid, you bought into what's really being said in social media and Hollywood entertainment, the liberal media. And perhaps you've kind of drank the cyanide in the Kool-Aid saying, you know, I guess everybody's doing it, I might as well do it too. I'm referring, of course, to the cult in Guyana where Jim Jones, over 900 people, gave their lives in stupidity, following a person into error. If you're tempted to just throw up your hands and quit, I want to tell you that as God's people have never been the people of blend. We have been the separated people, amen, that have an eternal destination. So Paul would write in Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He told them there's an evil day coming. And for the Ephesians, those people that lived in that Greek city of Ephesus, under Roman rule, they were living in an evil day. But he said, I want you to understand that you need to take unto you the whole armor of God. That your intellect, your ability, your fortitude is not enough to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. But God has given us weaponry. He's given us the armor that we need to stand, to withstand, and to stand. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, you can kind of feel him putting his hand under the chin of the Ephesian church, lifting them up and saying, hey, come on, you were made for more than this. That's not what you redeemed from. And in all this entire book, he's trying to shift the paradigm, the view of those believers from just being earthly and temporal, temporary to the eternal. And to help them know you're, you are, you're something special in the eyes of God. Amen. He reminds them that they're living to the glory of God. He tells them that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 
He tells them that God has made known the mystery of His will. That God has given an eternal purpose and that we have obtained an inheritance. We're in His will. Amen. That's a big deal. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been given the down payment of the purchased possession. He said, I want you to know that we pray for you, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. You need to know the hope of your calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You need to know what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe the working of His mighty power. Amen. He set it in His own right hand in heavenly places. He put everything under His feet and His body is the church, which means it's under our feet. Amen. He said you used to be dead in your sins, but now you're quickened. You used to have your behavior in the lust of the flesh. You were by nature the children of wrath. You were dead in your sins. But God who was rich in His mercy quickened you together. He came inside of you and changed your very nature. He raised you up together. He made us to sit together in heavenly places that in the ages to come He would show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You are made for more than this. You're not a dog or an animal or a beast. Amen. You are made for eternity in the image and the moral nature of God. Amen. Paul reminds them that we're his workmanship created unto good works, that we should walk in them, that we're no longer like we used to be, Gentiles in the flesh. Back then, we lived like, like an animal, but now, now we're not strangers anymore. Amen. We have hope. We have the promise of God in Christ Jesus. We who once were are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're no more strangers or foreigners or fellow citizens, but we are part of the saints and the household of God. That's who we are. We've got new citizenship papers in our spirit, and we are citizens of another world. Amen. He prays for them to have understanding that their eyes would be open. They would be strengthened with might by their spirit in their inner man. That they would be able to comprehend the breadth, length, depth and height. To know the love of God that passes knowledge. That they would know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that they can ask or think. He tells them all of this in the book of Ephesians. And then he tells them to walk in love. Don't live in fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Don't be in filthiness, foolish jesting or talking. You don't be a whoremonger, an unclean person, or a covetous person. Someone who's an idol that has something in your life ahead of Jesus. He said, don't let anybody deceive you with vain words to think that you can live like that and have your citizenship there. He said, because of these things, of these behaviors, the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience. Don't you know that, that we have the most love-filled message of all that says, if you will repent, God will save you. We love you enough to not let you die in your sins. Not let you go to hell for your sins. Amen. Amen. He said, you were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're in a different world. Now you're down here in this world. You've got to live in the flesh. This is who we are, human beings. But we don't walk by that. We live by a different set of values. 
He told them, don't fellowship the unfruitful works of darkness, but reprove them. He said, it's a shame to even talk about the things that are done of them in secret. And he told them, don't be asleep in this time. Awake and look around you as you walk and live for God. Redeem the wise, the, day, the time because the days are evil. In chapter 5, he talks about relationships, husband, wife, children, employees, employers. And all of that, he comes to chapter 6 when he says, finally, brethren. That's the words you'd really look for in a sermon that I never say. You'll never hear me say in conclusion. That's just a permission slip for the water fountain. But Paul said, finally, brethren, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He now begins to engage in some military terminology because this is a battle. Strong in the Lord, the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul said we're in a war. Amen. Now I know there are cultural wars. And I know there are people that hate truth and hate the church. But in spite of what's going on in our world, our enemy is not the Supreme Court justices who voted for. It is not the President of the United States who lit up the White House in rainbow colors. In fact, we should pray for our President that we can lead a quiet and peaceful life. And we should respect people who are in authority. Amen? Amen. Our enemies are not the LGBT at a Q movement now who are questioning. They're not our enemies. Amen? They're, they're really our market. If we were in business, we'd say, that's our customer. Because we have a gospel that saves, that's who we're going after. We're going after people who are Q, questioning their identity, questioning their gender identity, questioning who they are. They don't know who they are. Thank God we have a Bible that brings us back to who we are and who He is and the hope that we have in Him. We're not at war with the entertainment industry. We're not at war against ISIS or radical Islam. We're not at war against any of those human institutions ultimately. Ultimately. Ultimately, as Paul would write about it, for we wrestle not, verse 12. Now that's where most of us quit. We wrestle not. We just cave in. We just go along. We don't want to be labeled. God help us not to be labeled. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. We do wrestle. And wrestling is hand-to-hand combat. It's not shooting an arrow, spear, right? It's not long-range missiles, not smart bombs, not drones, you know. Dropping a guy on his eating dinner there to wipe him out. This is hand-to-hand combat. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So stop right there. The world is full of darkness, but it has rulers over the darkness of this world. Amen? Against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's not talking about a human office. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Don't tell me that you're just going to make up your mind and stand. You've got to take on the whole armor of God to stand. 
Now, what about this armor of God? I'm going to just go through it quickly. You could teach a week Bible study or a week's, weeks of Bible study just on the whole armor of God. Verse 14. Paul said you need to have truth buckled around your waist. The King James was like a girdle of truth. But it was a protective belt. It was a utility belt. But it was what you buckled around. And, and Paul said get truth on first. Love truth. Know truth. Study truth. Memorize truth. Get truth in your heart. Get it in the next generation. Don't ever say, I don't have a scripture. You've got a scripture. Find the scripture. Memorize the scripture. If you can't memorize it, write it down. Search it. Pursue it. You need the breastplate of righteousness. There was two pieces, one for the front and one for the back to cover the vital organs over your chest and over your back. It is a breastplate of righteousness, of right living. Amen? Our righteousness matters to God and it matters in life. He said, make sure you get some shoes on. Don't go barefooted out into the world. It's the, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace to know how to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Amen. You need to be prepared to go with the gospel wherever you go. But Old Testament Israel ate the Passover and the Lord said, Eat this feast with your shoes on because when I say go, I don't want to see you standing around lacing up your high tops, lacing up your army boots. I want you to live ready. Amen. When the Lord comes back to his church, he doesn't want to have to see you lacing up your prayer life, calling somebody on the phone, asking them to forgive you, repenting of a thousand sins. You need to live ready. Get the shield of faith. Some were round, some were oblong, some were like body armor that could be linked together to form a human shield against the enemy that would be attacking. But it is a shield of faith. Our faith system and our faith in God in the sense of its objective truth and our faith in truth. Amen. It is a shield of faith and he with it you can quench or extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked because you will get shot at if you are a Christian. And you better hold your faith between you and your enemy. Don't stand there in intellect. Don't stand there with the human argument. But it is a shield of faith that stands between you and the attack. Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Put on the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind, protect your spirit, protect your brain. Vulnerable to attack. Destroy the brain to hit the head and you've killed the warrior. So wear that helmet, of, that helmet that is so important covering your mind and your brain. The helmet of salvation. You know, I love the fact that no matter what happens in life, sometimes I may feel like things aren't going well, but I know I am right with God. Amen? Jesus said, do not rejoice that the devils are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Some days you may feel down. You may get sick. Adversity may come in your life. But in your head, you know, I made peace with God. I turned to my sins in repentance. I, amen. 
I came to Jesus in faith. I was baptized in Jesus' name. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And I will not let depression tell me that I am not saved. The helmet of salvation. Amen. Important piece of weaponry. Take unto you the whole armor of God. And don't forget the sword of the Spirit. And he tells us, which is the word of God. That's why when Satan tempts Jesus, he just pulls a sword out. He doesn't try to start arguing with the devil. He pulls a sword out. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Amen? It is written, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. He pulls out scripture. Because that is the offensive weapon of the church. All the defensive armor protects us from the attack. But the, the word of God is how we answer every attack. Amen? In kindness and in love, but with truth. You've got this armor on, head to toe, you're protected. But then now you've got to engage in warfare. So Paul tells us the next idea, you know, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. You take the whole armor of God. But look at verse 18. Praying. Everybody please say praying. Praying, praying with all prayer, all kinds of prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto, watching in prayer with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now there's a lot of words in that little verse. Not really a little verse, it's a long verse. He's got supplication. Watching, perseverance, supplication. I mean, he's, he's wearing out the idea that you need to pray. And you need to pray fervently, pray hard. And you need to pray in the Holy Ghost. And you need to be a spiritual prayer warrior, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Pray at home, pray at work, pray with your family, pray corporate prayer, pray when you come to church. Every opportunity you get, pray. It is how we engage prayer and supplication in the spirit always. is an incessant prayer and it is powerful prayer. And we watch in prayer. We're looking for the attack of the enemy and we're praying like that. We are at war and we should be armed with the whole armor of God and we should engage in warfare with the word and the spirit are two offensive weapons that make all the difference in the world. Amen? God has given us everything that we need to triumph. We have all the available resources possible as long as we make up our mind to stand. My message today is a call for you to stand in this evil day against the attack of the enemy. But I am not hopeless. I am rather relentless and passionate about the days ahead. I think it's important for us to remember that our... History as a nation is rather short, 239 years. And the church history is 2,000 years. And the history of the people of God that would go all the way back, say, to Abraham, the father of the faithful. And for most of our United States history, this has been a Christian nation. And we have been at home in our Christian values. But our context for faith is not 239 years. Our context is the context of human history. And I say that to let you know that God's people 
have often lived in a hostile environment. Jacob and his family, 70 souls, went down to Egypt 400 plus years. And while they were there, they went from house guests to slaves. But while they were there, they were not annihilated. They grew from 70 souls to over 600,000 men plus women and children. When they wandered in the wilderness, they confronted enemies, but they overcame them. The land of Canaan was one conquest after another. When they settled the land, there was always an invasion, a war, a battle, some kind of an attempt to take them over, except for the years of Solomon's reign. Our people, the people in our past, the people of faith, have constantly struggled for survival that is our heritage and it may become our lot in these last days. That's why I'm telling you that when the evil day comes, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. The writer of Hebrews is reviewing the heroes of faith of the Old Testament. And he tells us that they were tortured. They had cruel mockings and scourgings. They were in bonds, chained up and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted and tormented. They wandered in the deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Those are my brothers and my sisters. Those are my spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. And these all died in faith. But there was something I believe that kept them. The writer of Hebrews said that they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Just what Paul would say to the Ephesians, that you need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven. And if earth gets uncomfortable, just kind of put on your big boy pants, your big girl dress, and say, this is the way my fathers lived and my mothers lived, and we will not go down. We will stand. You've got to make up your mind, and you've got to get it in your spirit that by the grace of God, and because we wear His armor, we will Jesus himself was tried, convicted, crucified, kangaroo court by a coalition of the government and institutionalized religion. The apostles were threatened, jailed, martyred. Early Christians used as spectators in the Roman Colosseum, torn apart by beasts, used as his torches to light the night sky. They were torn in pieces by dogs and beasts. They were persecuted, put to death for the name of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that we are no better than they. We have been blessed to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. 
And I will remind you that when Roe versus Wade went down in 1973, that the country did not end then, but it opened the door with this 14th Amendment to other ideas or interpretations by the Supreme Court. So here we are. We've not changed our biblical view. We love people that have had an abortion. We believe they can repent and be saved. So we're not going to try to throw America to the dogs. We're going to stay here and love this nation, pray for this nation, be a light in this nation. But when it comes to truth, there's no compromise in our vocabulary. Amen. Someone told me one time, you know, when being modest is in, you should enjoy being in. But when being modest goes out, you just need to stand up and be modest, even when it's against the fashion world. Well, can I tell you, when it was in to be a Christian, thank God we enjoyed, you know, decades, couple centuries, when it was in to be a Christian. But now if being a Christian is out, if being a Bible believer goes out of style, that's okay. I'm a citizen of the United States of America, but ultimately I am a citizen of heaven. That's where I'm going. Amen. Now listen, I live by the laws of this country as long as they do not violate the laws of that country. I live by the laws of the land until they violate this law. In the Bible, they were commanded not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. It became illegal in Jerusalem. But the apostle says, whether it be right in the sight of God to obey you more than God, judge you. But we can only tell the things that we have seen and heard. We will not change our message. We need to pray that God would forgive, forgive America so he can save America. But we should take unto us the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. Amen? Because we are people of faith. Right now in our country, there are some things that are going on that are just kind of shocking. You know, 2013, a bakery in Oregon is forced to pay a $135,000 fine for refusing to bake a cake that violated their religious conviction. And when somebody opened a GoFundMe account and GoFundMe found out what it was for, they shut the account down. In Oregon, the Bureau of Labor told them that a 110-page document that talked about this case, you know, against this young couple that had this little bakery. The bakery shut down. He works as a trash collector now, but he has not changed his mind. And he said, no one will tell me to be quiet about my faith. I will not be quiet. No gag order is going to stop me. A family in New York State declined a lesbian couple to have their wedding ceremony. They had, they had hosted other events and they were not prejudiced against anybody, even by their sexual orientation, but they felt this crossed the line and they said no. So now they've been fined $10,000 plus $1,500 a piece to a lesbian couple whose names you can find in the news. There's a florist in Washington State, uh, Baronelle Stutzman. She's 70 years old, but she wouldn't make flowers, and now she's got a lawsuit, $2,000 plus more. All this stuff took place before September 26th. Now 
now it's already out there. We're coming after tax-free status. You know, we'll have an addendum to our bylaws and most United Pentecostal churches and God-fearing churches will to make sure we know facility usages and what we do. And I would hope that I would never have to die for my faith. But if I did, I would be in good company. So what if you get sued? I don't want to be sued. What if you go to jail? I don't want to go to jail. But if I did, I would be in good company. Remember the three Hebrew young men, probably teenagers, young adults? They're in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar gets this great idea to build a huge image. And he said, you know, this is now going to be God. We're creating our own God. We're going to have some cool music. And when the music starts, everybody bows down. People, nations, all the people. They, they captured many people from nations all over the world. So the music starts. They get down to the music and everybody gets down to the idol. But somebody goes and tells King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, these, there's these three Jews that you brought out of the promises. And when everybody bowed down, they were standing. And he was in a rage. He came to them and said, I'm going to give you guys a second chance. When you hear the music, all I want you to do is bow down and worship and everything will be great. That's all you have to do. So, you know, rationalization would say, well, we can bow down. But someone will say, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't really believe it. I'll just kind of go along so nobody will know where I really stand on this. Right? But they said their response to the king was, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. That just means we don't need to think about it. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to have a little talk about it. We're not careful to answer you in this matter. We know that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Oh, but by the way, O king, whether he does or not, he will deliver us out of your hand. Because if we die in the furnace, we'll still be in his hand. So the music started, not this music, the devil's music. And everybody got down to the music except Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, their Babylonian names. And the king took them and threw them into the fiery furnace, heated it up seven times hotter, as hot as it could get. And they stood back and watched the show. And he said, Hey, wait a second. Didn't we throw three men in the fire? I think I see a fourth man in the fire. And he is like unto the Son of God. Hey, my friend Mark Christian used to sing, he's still in the fire. He's walking in the flame. He'll be there, amen, with you if you call upon his name. He's the one who promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you to the end of the age. Why don't we stand? And why don't we stand? And why don't we stand? Yeah. Give glory to the Lord. Give praise to God. Amen.
feet, go ahead. Give glory to the Lord. I want to invite you to come stand with me at an altar and make a commitment to God that by His grace you will stand in the power of His might and you will put on the armor of God. Amen. 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 Our militance is about spiritual things. We're not crazy people. We don't blow up abortion clinics. We don't take physical action against people. But we stand in the power of the armor of God. Amen. That's it. Keep coming. As you're able. Keep coming. Amen. We're making a statement today of where we stand. Crowd. Crowd up here. Leave the aisles open, would you? Crowd up here. Leave aisles open. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, you can receive the Spirit of Jesus today. If you've never been baptized, we'll baptize you today. Amen. We've got too much compromise, too much giving in on the values of the kingdom of God. So today, we're making up our mind. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? As for me.